This is District Sentinel Radio. It's that newscast of record. For the left, I'm Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. And we're broadcasting out of Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. This is the show that we record for you every week. Thanks for your support. You all know the routine. We've got the garbage can coming out at the end of the show. We're going to get to some news here in just a moment. Uh, What's this I hear about there being no file follies this week, Sam Knight? I know, I know. I I shouldn't unveil a new segment and then, you know, drop the ball on it. But uh, I was working on a story for Truth Out that will be out Sunday uh, about the shady practices of cryptocurrency ATM companies. So I've been uh, that's visiting... A bit, that's, a bit, uh, that's a bit redundant, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing I, I mean, sounds shadier than a crypto ATM machine. Okay, true. And that is already well established. Let me, let me be a little more specific. The reporting on the shadiness of the crypto ATM machine companies usually focuses on uh, the criminal element from a from a blue collar criminal standpoint, right? Like these are used to to launder money, to hide the proceeds of crime, etc. This is about the uh, consumer protection angle uh, because these things are widely scattered mostly throughout uh, low-income neighborhoods and they hide their fees i tried uh, a few of them this week and some of them what they'll tell you is they'll charge a three dollar service fee and then they will list what exchange rate they are offering you but you have to look up the market rate yourself to know what the cost is and so they're charging people 20 percent to change uh, dollars into cryptocurrency. And, you know, maybe if there were only two or three of these things, that would be one thing. Uh, there are 33,000 now in the United States, and, and the number has gone up uh, by a factor of more than eight in, in since, since 2020. Where are the ones in D.C.? Well, uh, I went to one in Hyattsville, Maryland, at a laundromat that also does um, check cashing. Uh, then I went to a Latino supermarket to use another, although the uh, it wasn't getting service and <laughs> the machine froze on me, so I had to I had to go to another machine. Uh, that one was at a grocery wholesaler in Northeast DC, kind of a cool store it looked like, but I was, I was in a hurry. I had to, I had to make my rounds and get out of there. Like a knockoff Sam's club or something. Uh, I guess, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go so far as to use the word knockoff. I wouldn't characterize the store, uh, one way or another, uh, for legal reasons. Um, (laughs) just trying to, I don't know that, that was silly. I don't have to worry about my legal reasons there. Anyway, and then the third one, the Coin Me, they have a partnership with Ace Cash Express, which is a payday lender and, and check cashing company um, that's owned by a private equity firm. So, and, 
So a laundromat, a, a laundromat. There was a, there was, a crypto coin ATM at a laundromat. Yes. Did any of the machines which, uh, take which, crypto? Which, which also, which also does check cashing services. So essentially, so as it's you like said, an alternate. It's a laundromat that is also an alternative financial you. service provider. So as you right? said, yeah, as you said, places where. Uh, let's say wealthy people don't usually find themselves because they Correct. generally have their own washer and dryer. Um, this is places where working class people usually have to take care of their needs, um, especially a check exactly. cashing place, which suggests people who don't have bank accounts. Yes. That's who's being targeted to invest, to buy crypto. Correct. It's fucked up, man. I wasn't like, obviously I know that the the whole advertising is geared toward you know regular working class people to buy crypto. I assumed if you would have asked me, I would have assumed that crypto ATMs are like at fancy nightclubs and high end hotels and places where crypto bros would hang out. And it's not that. It's extremely predatory. Yeah, I mean, at one point, it was this sort of novelty thing. And to be quite honest, you know, using crypto to, to, to buy drugs for, for recreational use uh, might be the most, like, <laughs> the best use case you can find of crypto. And at one point, it was, like, segmented and, and very sort of niche and novelty uh, but then, you know, crypto becomes this this multi-trillion dollar uh, uh, global market. And people think, how do we get all the money we can into this? How do we get people who don't even really have, uh, who, who are on the wrong side of the digital divide and, and who, are, who don't even have bank accounts? How do we get them into crypto? That's what this is about. So uh, there are... Um, you should still read the piece. There are specific things in there, and uh, you know I'm getting some interesting comments. And uh, but yeah, that is why there are no file follies this week. So at least I had a had a good reason to be tardy or absent or hooky or whatever. Yeah, you yeah you did. I didn't know any of this stuff, or at least to the extent that it exists. Um, I mean, that's the thing. It's one of those things where it's like, well, yeah, of course. But when you go, you know, when you do research on Google and try to find out stories about the crypto ATMs. Most of the negative coverage or the critical coverage or whatever focuses on the money laundering. Most of the interest from uh, regulators thus far, uh, with some minor exceptions, has been about the criminal, the the uh, you know the the blue collar criminal element as opposed to the white collar criminal element, which they obviously should be looking at. Yeah. When you were telling me about the uh, fees they charge, they remind me of those airport cash exchange places or uh, currency exchange places. Those things are predatory as hell, too. <laughs> there need to be some yeah, consumer protection laws against those things. Yeah. Yeah. Just definitely tell your financial institution you're going abroad and uh, just withdraw the money from the first cash point you find. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, depressing stuff here. By the time you're listening to this, this video has probably already come out. But as Sam and I are recording right now, 
we are, um, I guess, going through that uniquely American experience of waiting for the police to release a snuff film and waiting to see how people will react to it. I'm uh, talking about the uh, Memphis police are getting ready to release the body cam footage of the uh, beating death of Tyree Nichols. Uh, Five officers have already been fired over this and charged with second degree murder, aggravated assault, kidnapping. You have the police chief talking about how savage and inhumane this was. You've got President Biden coming out preemptively and urging people to be peaceful. We've seen a lot of these videos now. A lot of them awful. I don't remember uh, people in leadership and the police being this freaked out over a video. Yeah, especially when the uh, officers involved have already been charged with with some pretty uh, severe crimes. This is going to be really, I don't know, it's going to be horrendous. I mean... Yeah, I mean, how, how, how <laughs> people are rightly going to point to policing as an institution and say, you know, obviously it doesn't get this far if there's no culture of, of silence, the thin blue line bullshit. And of yeah. course, a cab. Yeah. And, you know, these police have been cut loose and charges filed, which previously we've seen unrest in response to uh, police not being charged when they kill someone. And then you'll see the city charge them uh, in response to that because it takes a long, a lot of these uh, investigations take a long time to get either all the facts. Well, this one, you know, this incident happened on the seventh. Nichols died in a hospital three days later on the 10th. So this happened less than three weeks ago or about three weeks ago. And, you know, police have already been charged. Now all, all five officers here are black. And one could speculate that the reason that if they were white, things might not have moved as quickly here. Um, I don't know about that. Maybe the, truth is that the video really is that bad and the police are really freaked out about how people are going to respond looking at it so they've moved a lot faster than they normally have but also it really doesn't matter the race of the cops um black officers uh regularly engage in brutality just like white officers i mean one of the officers that stood around while george floyd was killed was a black officer um you know, as you said, this is a systemic problem. It's not it's not an issue. Liberal police reformers, you know, the whole let's let's hire more female prison guards <laughs> to, to solve this problem or let's hire more cops that look like the community they're policing. That's not going to solve this. Uh, police as an institution in the United States are rotten uh, to the core. And there has been a story I saw today that came out of a guy in Memphis who encountered these same exact cops who 
uh, had, I guess, on the back of their car or on their jacket or something, Scorpion unit. Uh, these cops like pulled up, claimed that he had drugs, asked him where the drugs were, threw him out of the car, pointed a gun at him. And, you know, he was like, I'm just getting a pizza and going home. And finally, the cops realized they had nothing on him. And they let him go. And this guy called internal affairs at the Memphis police to report what happened here with this unit and with these officers. He said he called him twice. And I guess nothing was done. And a few days later, these same officers, according to this guy, because he saw the officers on TV, he's like, those are the same officers actually did end up killing someone. And this guy was noting how that could have been him if he decided to try and run or resist this false arrest and false accusations. They might have beaten him to death. So there's a lot still to be learned. And you see the police department cutting these officers loose. But they're implicated in this as well. If indeed they had received complaints against these officers in the past and did nothing which at least one guy's saying is the case goes all the way to the top, as they say, you know, like this shit is bad. Yeah. I mean, uh, cops have been in isolated incidents charged with various crimes before. And it never seems to have any wider impact on police abuses because for every one crime that they're charged with how many do they get away with you know what was it just cops didn't used to have body cams this just came out you know in the last 10 years that it's been ubiquitous to where we now constantly are seeing these images over and over and over again and body cams were introduced as this way to have more police accountability and i guess in a way it is because without this footage these cops words would have been like oh this guy got confrontational and we just had to restrain him um so in a way, there is some accountability, but it hasn't slowed down these police killings. It's just created this weird dynamic where every few weeks, the entire nation has to watch their police murder someone. Yeah, last year was a record year, huh? Like we attack, we attack, or not we, but the U.S. government criticizes, and I'll, and I'll criticize as well, obviously, public executions in Saudi Arabia. And yet, here we are as a country watching these, you know, videos of police and there's nothing that's done about it. There's going to be another one in a few months. Yeah, I I don't know if the U.S. government criticizes the Saudi executions too much, but I knew where you were going with that. Yeah, you're right about that. (laughs) You're right about that. Some bad news and some good news. First, the bad news. Unfortunately, the time has come for me to learn what the hell chat GPT is. I've seen people tweet about it a lot, and it sounds like something that insufferable tech people love. So I told myself I would wait for as long as possible before looking up what it actually is and does according to reputable sources. And that time has come this week. Now, here's the good news. This is what I've been waiting for, too, is for you to explain it to me. So here's the good news. This isn't happening now because chat GPT has caused some kind of fatal accident or economic crisis. Rather, 
because it was used by a congressman to give a speech on the House floor. So I now know that ChatGPT is a computer program that you can order to write things for you. With that said, if you guess that the first congressman to use this program to write a speech would be a fintech twerp droning on about how much he loves Israel, you nailed it. <laughs> Here is Congressman Jake Auchincloss, a Democrat from Massachusetts, who you might know as one of the eight congressmen who interfered in SEC crypto investigations in early 2022 as the agency was looking in into FTX. Mr. Speaker, I stand here today because I am planning to reintroduce the United States-Israel Artificial Intelligence Center Act, a bipartisan piece of legislation that will cement a mutually beneficial partnership between the United States and Israel on artificial intelligence research. This is a critical step forward in an era where AI and its implications are taking center stage in public discourse. So there you have it, the first AI speech given by male Siri. It goes on, but why bother playing any of the rest of this speech? Of note, Auchincloss had to order ChatGPT to write the speech, and he gave it the following command, quote, You are Jake Auchincloss, a member of Congress. Write 100 words to deliver on the floor of the House of Representatives. Topic, colon, the importance of the United States-Israel Artificial Intelligence Center Act, which the congressman will reintroduce this term. So in other good news, upon being told that he was Jake Auchincloss, the computer did not commit a horrific act of violence, T-1000 style. I've been following a lot of the discourse around this and how ubiquitous this technology will end up becoming. Um, and we'll get into uh, BuzzFeed a little bit later in the show, which has come out saying they plan to use this um, for their content. Um, you see stories about uh, attorneys wanting to use ChatGPT to argue cases, uh, ChatGPT uh, writing essays that, you know, pass college level courses and things like that. I don't I don't know where this is going. Uh, I just wish it was around when I was in school. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, I'm not sure how accurate those claims are about the complexity of what this technology can do. That being said, it does sort of feel like we are moving very fast into a very unknown territory and things could get out of control very quickly. I don't mean to be alarmist, but I am a little freaked out about this stuff. Are you more freaked out about this stuff or deep fake stuff? Because I think the deep fake stuff is also advancing into well, this. I mean, into this people have, dark place. I mean, people have been worried about the deep fake stuff for years, and it has. I don't know. Maybe it will get more sophisticated, but people seem to be genuinely pretty skeptical like i know the crowd is not good at a lot of things but people posting a video on twitter like you will eventually get people who are responding what's the source for this do you have any corroboration blah 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 you know yeah so i'm not sure deep fake stuff can take hold in the same way that the people are going to use this chat gpt thing to like lay off 
millions of people. Yeah, with the with the deep fake stuff, there is an element of looking at it and knowing there's something off, kind of an uncanny valley element to it. And with the AI art, you see it pretty obviously where you see these people and they have like nine fingers. Yeah. Um, and with the deep fake stuff, there's just something that doesn't seem right. You might not be able to describe it, but like the way someone's mouth might move or their facial expression, you'll be like, there's something weird here. And, and the technology might advance to where it's able to eliminate all that. With the chat GPT, it might be a little bit more difficult to, to pick it up. Although I have seen exchanges where people will interrogate the chat GPT and it becomes very clear, very quick that this uh, is just a machine uh, that that can't keep up. Right. Like maybe it can write an essay, but in like a repeated play sort of game where, you know, it's pressed on its claims. It can't, def- you know, it, it, it can only do so much is is is. Hopefully, where it's going to end, um, and this maybe the craze will be just another cryptocurrency thing, style thing. Anyway, some other tech news in that vein, and this one is explicitly about cryptocurrency. The Federal Reserve actually denied membership to a crypto bank, which would have enabled the company to access Fed master accounts, meaning that a firm that specializes in digital monopoly money would have had access to Federal Reserve emergency lending services. The denial comes amid increased scrutiny for regulated banks with ties to crypto. The California-based Silvergate Bank had significant exposure to FTX before the collapse of the exchange, and it is moving closer and closer to bankruptcy with each passing week. On Friday, for example, the firm suspended dividend payments to shareholders, uh, and you know something in capitalist uh, framework is in trouble when when that happens. Must mustn't hurt the sacred shareholders. The bank that was rejected by the Fed on Friday, which is called Custodia, has a state charter in Wyoming, which has led the de- deregulatory race to the bottom to attract crypto money. In its rejection statement, the Fed noted that Custodia, quote, does not have federal deposit insurance, which is probably good for the federal deposit insurance system, especially because the company, quote, proposed to engage in novel and untested crypto activities that include issuing a crypto asset on open, public, and or uh, decentralized networks. Kind of sounded, kind of sounds like they wanted something to do with NFTs and, uh, you know, that, that should probably stay far away from the regulated banking system. Just just a thought. Not trying to get too radical here. The rejection letter continues. The firm's novel business model and proposed focus on crypto assets presented significant safety and soundness risks. The board has previously made clear that such crypto activities are highly likely to be inconsistent with safe and sound banking practices. Have they, though? Have they actually made it clear? I mean, we just had a a $3 trillion market that just went two-thirds belly up because the whole thing is built on... Can anyone actually explain? We've been covering crypto for how many years? Can we we explain why people are into it? Do you know what I mean? Well, there's a lot of of reasons, you know. Buying drugs? No, I mean, that... No, no, it's... uh, $3 trillion worth of drugs? 
it's to get rich. People think they're going to get rich. Uh, or two, a, a less significant amount of people, I think, do it for ideological reasons, like libertarians do it because they think that they're at the cutting edge of a new financial system. They've sort of bought into the... I, I know Jacob Silverman's written a, a lot about like the religion behind crypto and how mm. that takes up people into like believing all these zany fantasies about right. what's possible. And that's a, probably a powerful pull on people. That and the idea that they can get rich. And I think that that is probably enough. Just those two motivations... Not even people buying drugs because you just I I would feel weird buying drugs with crypto given that it's a speculative asset fundamentally. Um, sure, I, I I mean I I was getting angry there because thinking from it thinking about it from a regulatory standpoint, right? Like, yeah, we don't know what this market is for, but there are three trillion dollars in it, so we better keep our hands off for now and. <laughs> I know people are saying that, like, oh, it could have been worse. The banking system could have been more exposed to it if, you know, this, that, or the other happened. But come on. We all know this shit. The, these are securities. And they, everyone has just sat there twiddling their thumbs while, uh, you know, the SEC has been hogtied for years and years and years. Yeah. They didn't, they didn't want to stop the party. No. Anyway, the letter. Uh, well, we don't we don't need to finish the letter. It's it's just it's it's so easy to take this kind of stand after the bubble has already burst. Too little, too late. Moving on to the war in Ukraine, the United States has reversed course and announced that it will send tanks to the Ukrainian army. 31 Abrams tanks. Germany also agreeing to send tanks. Leopard 2s. Uh let me let me just say I like I don't you know fundamentally don't support escalating this war. I think that all nations should try to find a some sort of negotiated settlement before throwing more arms into this. I also see people commenting online like, oh, no, German tanks are rolling into Ukraine. What happened last time? And it's like, that's not exactly the same. <laughs> that's not exactly the same. <laughs> like, yes, it's Germany. And yes, they're tanks. But that's that's about the extent of it. Come on. <laughs> Anyways. I, I, will, I will say, though, uh, sorry, just uh, I'll hop in later. I don't mean to step on your toes here well the troubling thing about this is that the u.s abrams tanks are known as like effective tank killers themselves because they have these depleted uranium rounds that they fire mm. and there's a question of whether or not these rounds are going to be part of this tank shipment to the ukrainian army given how dangerous depleted uranium is and how it embeds in people and causes cancer and birth defects later. So uh, the White House was asked about this on a background briefing this week, and the uh, unnamed official uh, did not provide an answer. Uh, this is according to an Intercept report. Um, so we don't know. 
if these tanks will come with uh, depleted uranium rounds. The other thing about these tanks is they're not going to arrive anytime soon. Uh, several months, maybe even a year or two before uh, these tanks are procured, transported over there, fitted. People are trained to use them. So if you are embarking on this weapons transfer that won't really take hold for a year from now, that means you expect this war is going to continue for a lot longer. Uh, also, the U.S., according to the New York Times this week, is or I think this report might have come out earlier this month, uh, is warming up to the idea of supporting Ukraine, helping Ukraine retake Crimea. Uh, this is the area that was annexed by the Russians in 2014. Uh, there was this referendum. One of them. Yeah. Well, th this was the one that was formally annexed with a referendum. Oh, right. Yes. Of course. Yes. Uh, in which like 98% of the people voted to join Russia. Um, I don't put too much stock in those numbers, but I also uh, recognize that a lot of people in Crimea do want to be a part of Russia. <laughs> Uh, this is yeah, not like that, that, this is not like, you know, the Donbass. In which there are some people in far eastern parts of Ukraine also want to be a part of Russia, but. Trying to retake Crimea at this point is going to require a very, very brutal campaign in parts of in, in an area where people don't want to go back hostile. to Ukraine. Yeah, in a hostile, hostile area. And it will it, um, certainly extend the war. So, you know, I always saw Crimea as part of the negotiated settlement here. I mean, to end this war, you're going to have to give up something. Both sides are going to have to give up something. And it seemed like Crimea has already been established pretty much as part of Russia for the last eight years. What are we going to, what's it, what is the process of reintegrating that back into Ukraine that doesn't require immense bloodshed at this point? Yeah, I, I was uh, I was gonna say that whatever legitimacy questions there are about the referendum itself, that there has been independent polling, uh, which shows that membership in the Russian Federation is quite popular in Crimea, and I have been indirectly told by certain people that because I got the start of the war wrong, that I, I'm not allowed to have any opinions on anything related to this war, and that I should uh, support Ukrainians who say, we're never going to give up Crimea, and who are now pushing to take the war to, cry, to taking back Crimea. I would just like to say, fuck that. <sighs> I don't want anything to do with that. Well, they, and it's it's insane. It's lunacy. The counter argument is always, well, imagine if a foreign invader took control of a part of the United States. What would you be willing to sacrifice to end that war? And be like, a lot, buddy. A fucking <laughs> lot. <laughs> How much time do you have? How many requests can Texas, I make? Texas, take it. I really don't give a shit. <laughs> Florida, bye. Alaska, you know? take it. All yours. Don't give a shit. California, fine. For, yeah, fine. Bye. Bye. Pretty much take anything. Like if the uh, alternative than, you know, is fighting for decades. Take DC. Take DC. Take yeah. our own, you know, it, US if, out of DC. If the alternative <laughs> is fighting for decades in a war that could escalate escalate to nuclear annihilation, 
You're goddamn right I'm giving up Texas. You're goddamn right I am. Oh, why aren't leftists care about, you know, this or that? Eh, anyway, sorry. I don't want to make this too meta. But the point is, yeah, I don't support taking the war to Crimea. Not at all. Uh, the Ukrainians are confident that they can now get some F-16s. And they probably will. I mean, you've seen kind of red lines painted on the sort of weapons that we're going to be giving to the Ukrainians. And we've crossed those each time. Uh, luckily, there uh, hasn't been any tactical nuke strikes, as was warned. But the uh, doomsday clock was moved forward to 90 seconds closer to midnight. <laughs> I will just say that I do hope Vladimir Putin has his uh, road to Damascus moment and realizes the special military operation hasn't gone well and ends it today. And, you know, just because I'm ranting about the, uh, you know, uh, designs on uh, the the implications of invading Crimea uh, doesn't mean I don't think that Putin is primarily responsible for the war. He obviously is. I'm just saying I don't want this impossible mission in Crimea that complicates things so much more and lets this conflict drag on for years and years and years to what end. Yeah, yeah. And that's stuff we've said on this show uh, a lot, you know. Putin is the bad guy here. <laughs> Clearly, we we do not agree with uh, starting a war in Ukraine to achieve whatever regional security interests you had, because uh, as we've seen, this has backfired considerably for Russia. Uh, this has obviously not gone nearly as well as Putin and his generals thought it would go. Uh, we're not dipshits online who are like, Oh, like wearing Z shirts and being like, oh, the 600,000 strong Russian army is not going to be afraid of 31 Abrams tanks. It's like, well, the Russian army's proven itself to be pretty fucking pathetic. <laughs> not not exactly a team you'd find me rooting for here uh, for moral reasons, but also practical reasons. They're not exactly uh, world beaters here. <laughs> I will also say, to call back to a thing we discussed earlier in the show, do I misremember things or was one of the big fears about the deep fake thing that like Russia, that Putin would put out a deep fake video of Obama like saying that he was gay or something? <laughs> uh, folks, uh, let me be clear. I'm gay. Well, we never got the uh, deep fake of the piss tape. So obviously deep take deep fake technology has not progressed to where it would be effective if it wasn't able to produce a piss tape that a lot of people believed in. Yeah. I Donald do Trump remember, piss tape. Donald Trump. Yeah. Tape. Yeah. 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 I do remember a lot of uh, the discussion about deep fakes seemed to happen around the 2016 election and all the uh, game theory that happened there. Moving on, Republicans might not be able to make good on their threat to remove Ilhan Omar from the House Foreign Affairs Committee. This is from the Washington Post, quote, Congresswoman Nancy Mace and Victoria Sparts have signaled that they will vote against removing Omar to stay consistent with their votes against ousting Marjorie Taylor Greene and Paul Gosar from their committees, and that leaves McCarthy only one vote to spare. You have the rare uh, pro-Omar, pro-MTG uh, block there. 
uh, I guess. But anyway, whatever. Normally, Republicans would have two votes to spare with a margin of four, but they only have a margin of three right now because Greg Stubbe of Florida fell off a ladder cutting tree limbs and he suffered some pretty nasty injuries and he's recovering at home. Which, no doubt, conspiracy people will seize on this soon. Congressmen don't just fall off of ladders from 25 feet. Well, they don't know Stubby, who is actually kind of a himbo beefcake. Here he was in 2021, possibly the only, probably the only congressman to ever hit a home run over the fence at the uh, annual congressional baseball game. Earlier, he was on the Democratic side uh, when the... Democrats were trying to get caught up. Wow, this is a long Greg Stubbe with the Greg first Stubbe. pitch and the first swing. It's going to be a home run. Stubbe out of the ballpark into the left field bleachers. Stubbe with the very first offering from Pete Aguilar swings and sends it to left field and out. So, yeah, a baseball jock is exactly the sort of dude who would fall off a ladder cutting tree branches from eight yards up. Get well soon, Greg, uh, I guess. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to have to see the video of this to believe it was uh, him falling off his ladder. How do I know that these injuries weren't sustained during some drug-fueled boy lover tryst? Huh? How do we? How do I know that that didn't happen here? You're telling me there's gravity on this flat earth? <laughs> anyway, back to Omar. Republicans want her off the committee because she's critical of Israel, the war on terror, and generally speaking, U.S. foreign policy, so they racistly smear her as a terrorist-sympathizing anti-Semite. It's fashionable on the left to say that committee assignments in Congress are meaningless, and certainly there are coastal politics guys who overstate their importance. But I think that Omar's humiliation of Elliot Abrams was a very memorable moment, if not powerful, and it strikes me as the real reason all of this is happening. She broke Omerta and publicly embarrassed one of our war criminals. Uh, who should be thankful that public humiliation is all he has coming to him? Yeah, that was a that was a good moment in C-SPAN history. That's uh, right. I yeah, it's fucked up that uh, Omar's being kicked off committees. However, it's hard for me to give a shit about Adam Schiff or Eric Swalwell also losing their committee oh, assignments. Oh, yes, that, that's true. I should, have, I should have mentioned that in the uh, context of this. I don't care about either of them <laughs> losing their committee assignments. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> Surprisingly, Democrats haven't totally thrown Omar under the bus yet. The Washington Post noted that the party has yet to name its members to the House Foreign Affairs Committee, which prevents Republicans from being able to start the process to get Omar kicked off the committee. Turning now to some not-so-great economic news, Americans are falling behind their car payments at a higher rate than during the Great Recession. This is from Bloomberg. In December, the percentage of subprime auto borrowers who were at least 60 days late on their bills rose to 5.67%, up from a seven-year low of 2.58% in April 2021. That compares to 5.04% in January 2009, the peak during the Great Recession. And of course, it last, in 2021, it was so low because people had a little extra money in their pockets through expanded unemployment benefits, 
through the direct payments uh, from the government. Those people who still uh, had to work during the pandemic were often given some hazard pay. Uh, The tight labor market uh, led to higher wages. But uh, as Bloomberg notes, during the pandemic, a surge in used car prices forced buyers to take out bigger loans for their vehicles. The monthly payments seemed doable in an era of stimulus checks, a tight labor market, and surging stocks. But that's changed for many people as inflation eats into their budgets and the job market cools. And this is a real uh, a real factor in the economy now that I don't think a lot of sort of dullard economists have really caught up on. They're still living in this realm where, oh, the government was so generous to people uh, in 2001 so because of that, we can achieve a soft landing. We have all this uh, all this uh, uh, excess demand and everything. It's like th- that shit is drying up very fast. Whatever help I people got. Get, I can't get anyone to give me my schnippers. I can't get anyone <laughs> to deliver my Uber Eats. <laughs> that stuff is dried up fast. And the pandemic is still here. I mean, 5,000 people are dying a week of, of the virus. Um, inflation is eating away at people's wages and we're seeing that inflation is being caused mainly by corporate price gouging at this point. Um, there was that story, uh, about the egg industry, egg prices have risen considerably in the last year, have more than doubled, tripled in some areas of the country. And almost every media outlet was just parroting the egg industry saying, well, this is because of avian flu. We've had to call so many birds, supply's gone down, demands remained the same, so prices have gone up. Well, an advocacy group looked into it and wrote the FTC about it and looked at the numbers and there was no effect to supply as a result of the bird flu. And these companies were just arbitrarily jacking up prices to achieve Historic profits to maximize their profits. And that's been a a similar story as we've been talking about on this show for a fucking year now. Talk about some bad eggs. (laughs) So, yeah, uh, I guess, you know, people need to update their thinking here. We need more stimulus in this fucking economy. The best way to deal with these rising prices is to give people more money. Yeah. Or bust the trusts or both yeah yeah or that nationalized shit left and right <laughs> let's do it all right no foia follies uh today or no file follies either so uh no. i guess we'll just bring out the garbage can interns bring out the garbage can dun, dun, dun. bring it out bring it out dun, dun, dun. bring it out <laughs> Oh, I can't finish the song. It's too bad. It's fucking bad. It's fucking bad. I'm surprised we didn't think about that at any of the live shows to play the uh, that that bring 'em out, bring 'em out song when we were bringing out the garbage can.
Instead, we just played the Alan Parsons uh, project song from the oh, Chicago true. Bulls entrance, which oh, is pretty good right. too. That was no, I, do, I, do, I forgot do, do, about do, that. Do, that that was a great that was a great intro. Yeah. Except we couldn't uh, we couldn't post videos online because they got copyright violations. Oh yeah, ah damn it. Uh, that's good. Number thirty three, Scotty Pippen. Garbage candidate number one, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp. News this week that he has now called up the National Guard. He's declared a state of emergency to deal with the Cop City protesters. These are the Atlanta Forest defenders who have been camped out in the Walani Forest, blocking heavy equipment from coming in to build this like $90 million militarized police training complex. Uh, We've seen authorities escalate by uh, making raids into the forest, arresting people, charging them with domestic terrorism for simply camping out in trees. And then last week we saw police uh, actually kill one of these forest defenders, Manuel Tehran, a.k.a. Tortuguita. Uh, We've seen a couple members of Congress call for an independent investigation into this. There has been no body camera footage released of this shooting. Cops claim that Tortuguita shot first. Forest defenders say that didn't happen and that the uh, cop who police claimed was injured in the shootout was likely hit by friendly fire. Details are still murky and police have given us no reason to trust what they said. Anyway, so Kemp is calling up the National just, Guard now. Oh, man, I just have such I know they haven't proven that the activist shot first, that the forest defender shot first and that they're probably lying because if they had any proof, they would have trotted it out front and center. I just I cannot even see like someone like Tortuguita opening fire like they would have. They would have shot the whole fucking group. Man. Oh, yeah. If that actually happened, they would have fucking droned the place. They would have shot the entire group. Well, what I mean, there's been also no indication that Tortuguita was suicidal. Of course not. Because that's what that would have been, right? Like if you, let's say you are armed and a bunch of SWAT police come up on you and you're in a fucking tent, you're not like holed up in a building anywhere. If you decide to pull your gun out and shoot at them, you're dead. You're dead. Um. So big time Those questions. Cops would have loved nothing more than to fucking shoot up that entire forest. You know. Yeah. yeah. Well, now we've got National Guard troops coming in who have going to have the same power as police through this state of emergency that's been declared declared through February 9th. It just goes to show how important the movement against police is right now, how potent and powerful it is. All-encompassing. Yes. And it was shown in 2020 when you saw these nationwide protests. Uh, Unfortunately, you know, they didn't lead to some sort of upheaval in how policing happens in this country there was no revolution to come out of that so people have dismissed it largely but show me another issue that has driven that many people out into the streets and 
you know, these cop city protests now are happening nationwide. And after police killed Tortuguita, they've only grown. And my guess is now that the National Guard is being called up and in conjunction with whatever the hell is going to happen in response to this video out of Memphis. It's worth paying attention to. It's worth paying attention to and getting involved and realizing how this grassroots movement, like there aren't billionaires funding the anti-police movement. There aren't uh, institutional nonprofits or Democratic Party machines or liberal NGOs funding these protests against the police, these protests to defund the police. You see a lot of them trying to soften it up and push yeah. like more liberal police reform projects, but not in there's these more lot, radical demands. Oppor- yes. Yeah. There, well, with any movement, there's a lot of opportunists who come in, but right, right. you know, we yeah. saw people fighting with cops, burning down police stations, sustained protests and occupations all throughout 2020 that, you know, you, you didn't have Democratic politicians getting behind. And even in response, again, to the murder of Tyree Nichols in Memphis, you're already seeing Democratic politicians say, be calm, be calm, be calm. They don't want this to turn into any sort of revolutionary struggle that would threaten the system of policing in this country. Of course. No, no, no. I'm... I'm... It was, they obviously deliberately muddied the waters in 2020 and you'd have people like Kamala Harris showing up to protests and and Muriel Bowser trying to like make herself the leader of a movement. Well, that was the, the, but yeah, but there's two, there's like two different things, right? There's Black Lives Matter, which, you know, is a broad, a broad movement with lots of broad demands. I mean, as far as like what it wants to see outcomes, but then you had like the whole defund the police, which is an outshoot of that. That is far more radical demand where you have police and prison abolitionists who've been working in this field for decades. Now seeing a moment where their ideas are being picked up by more and more people. Well, I guess, I guess what I was trying to say is that the opportunism was particularly poignant in 2020 in that election year. And I cannot see Democrats trying the same things that they did in, in 2020, um, trying the same things with the Democrat in the white house, you know? Yeah. And, and I think they were, a lot of them were motivated by, by the election and it was very cynical. Um, and maybe they would do that again in like in in 2027 but certainly not now they're they're going to be fully on the side of go home shut up and vote yeah. or whatever don't donate to your uh local dem yeah i think it's a pretty valid argument to say that had biden been in office in 2020 you'd have seen a very similar police crackdown as we saw with trump in office oh yeah garbage candidate Number two, Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. A new documentary premiered at Sundance that looks in to Kavanaugh's history of alleged sexual assault. Uh, And there's new allegations in it. 
The Washington Post watched the film and some of the takeaways uh, in it. The, the film is mostly told through uh, Deborah Ramirez, who came forward at the time, along with Christine Blase Ford, to make allegations against uh, Kavanaugh. Ford testified during the nomination hearing, confirmation hearings in the Senate Judiciary Committee. Uh, Ramirez did not testify because at that point, uh, Republicans and Democrats, to a certain extent, just wanted to get this thing over with. But the film looks more into uh, her allegations in which she uh, alleged that she woke up inebriated. She went to Yale with Kavanaugh and she woke up inebriated at a party and Kavanaugh was like dangling his junk near her face. The film also talks about how in the FBI, for those who don't remember, when the Ford allegations came out, it sort of disrupted the confirmation hearings and Democrats agreed to some deal where the FBI would look in to these allegations and produce a report. And then the Democrats would agree to let this confirmation proceed. And the FBI, you know, a week later said, all right, we looked into it. It's all good. <laughs> and that allowed <laughs> Kavanaugh to be confirmed. Well, it came out a year or two later that the FBI received like 4,500 tips and didn't look into any of them and passed them on to the Trump White House lawyers to bury, essentially. So the film looks into some of the people who did present tips, including a guy named Max Steyer, who was friends with Kavanaugh at Yale, who confirmed Ramirez's story and told another story. Quote, Steyer's message to the FBI also cites another incident involving a different woman, which he says he witnessed firsthand. A severely inebriated Kavanaugh, who was his dorm mate at the time, pulled his pants down at a different party while a group of soccer players forced a drunk female freshman to hold Kavanaugh's penis. This is what uh, Max Steyer's alleging. I mean... <laughs> All these people are maybe are, I can't believe that all these people decided they're going to smear some Supreme Court justice for no reason. And there's a lot of fucking smoke here. <laughs> and Kavanaugh himself seemed to incriminate himself when he testified during his confirmation hearing, presented his calendars. He was like, I was at no party. I wasn't at a party. You can look at my calendar. And then the calendar is like uh, bruise with stew or whatever. <laughs> At his house. It's like, okay, well, this looks like a party. Just such a brilliant legal mind to incriminate himself at his own fucking confirmation hearing. Well, since the uh, Democrats won't pursue impeachment against Kavanaugh, we will have to throw him in the garbage can. Garbage candidate number three, BuzzFeed. Last month, BuzzFeed announced it was laying off 12% of its staff. Well, this week, BuzzFeed announced that it is going to be working more with AI bots to create content. In a memo to staff, CEO Jonah Peretti said that in 2023, it will no longer be an R&D project, but it will be a more integral part of BuzzFeed's operations when it comes to content creation, which is great for uh BuzzFeed and investors of BuzzFeed, because you uh, did have to pay for wages and health insurance of workers, 
you do not have to pay wages and health insurance of AI chatbots. So naturally, after this announcement was made, BuzzFeed stock shot up 150%. I don't know. These these AI bots don't produce any original content. It's all regurgitated stuff that's been mixed together that other people have created. If BuzzFeed's new content strategy is merely to copy whatever else exists out there, it should just rehire Benny Johnson. <laughs> I got to say this, you know, you talked me down a little bit from my uh, fear of chat GPT earlier in the show. And I feel like this says more about BuzzFeed than it does about the AI bots. <laughs> like your yeah. style can be written by fucking drones. I don't know. Maybe maybe your shit's not that good. Do people still read Buzzfeed? Do the click does the clickbait work? Uh, nobody I mean, maybe I'm nobody just, talks I'm about out of BuzzFeed touch, anymore. I don't read. No I never one. read Buzzfeed. First off, what I do never they do read. nothing. But I there think, was like a time where they did have yes an investigative reporting team and were breaking stories. Yes. I don't remember the last time BuzzFeed has done anything. Well, they just did something this week. (laughs) (laughs) And and you remembered it. Um, I have a funny feeling BuzzFeed might not survive the era of higher interest rates. Just just a funny feeling. If, If it does, in fact, come to fruition... You know, the bailout money will probably come as as soon as things start to get a little hairy. But well, here's here's to hoping. And I don't mean that as a knock on the journalists who work there. But as we just said, no journalists work there anymore. (laughs) And pretty soon, no humans will work there beyond the executives who are just uh, churning profit off their AI labor force. Garbage candidate number four, Union Pacific. You might remember the giant railroad company was a part of the labor dispute with workers at the end of last year because it refused to give their workers paid sick leave. And when workers were about to go on strike, which would have really fucked the company over and might have forced them to give workers paid sick leave. Democrats in Congress, Biden White House intervened to break the strike. Well, new Numbers are out from Union Pacific, and uh, the company turned a $7 billion profit last year. $7 billion. Up $500 million from the previous record profit it posted in 2021. So these, this is, uh, uh, it's like global warming. Each day is getting hotter. Well, with Union Pacific, each year is more and more profitable as they work uh, their employees down to the bone. The company's employee pay and benefits rose by about $500 million last year to $4.6 billion. So the company spent $4.6 billion on employee compensation last year. It spent $6.3 billion repurchasing stock. Hmm. What... What is the point of an economy? <laughs> Someone inform me. What is the point of this? I mean, I know the answer. I know the answer. But when you see that a company is giving $6 billion to shareholders and $4.5 billion to the workers that are making the company profitable, that are generating all value at the company, you know this is a fucked up economic system. 
but line go up. Line go up. Line go up for some people, that's for sure. Garbage candidate number five, Jeffrey Zients. He was named the new chief of staff for President Biden. He'll be replacing Ronald Klain, the uh, Iglesias-loving chief of staff. But somehow Zients will probably be worse, actually. Uh, Zients was the former... uh, COVID response coordinator, and he oversaw the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people, pushed for an end to masking recommendations, just downplayed the threat of the virus. Uh, Under his watch, the U.S. had a a woeful vaccination rate. And he's failing upward now. He's going to be chief of staff. Um, Politico, back when Zients was named as the COVID coordinator in 2021, right after Biden took office, uh, Politico wrote about him, quote, Jeff Zients, the man President-elect Joe Biden has put in charge of his administration's response to COVID-19, fell in love with the culture at Bain & Company. He later founded his own private equity firm, Portfolio Logic. He joined the board of Facebook after the Cambridge Analytica scandal. One chief executive on Obama's job council remarked that he thought Zients, then a top Obama aide, was a Republican. So this is this guy's background. And the American Prospect wrote further on Zients' time uh, in the working in the healthcare industry. Uh, he invested in and controlled a number of healthcare companies that were forced to pay tens of millions of dollars to settle lawsuits with the government because they engaged in Medicare and Medicaid fraud. Uh, They've also been accused of surprise billing practices and medical malpractice. This is the guy who's going to be the new chief of staff. He sucks. Ah, Not a a fan of the uh, of the Zeinsgeist, huh? No. (laughs) Neither am I. No good. No good. I don't have anything else to add. You you very clearly laid out why he sucks. Then I guess I'll move on to garbage candidate number six, Mike Pompeo. The uh, former secretary of state who likely is going to run for president has a new book out. And in it, he trashes Jamal Khashoggi. <laughs> what? What? Why? What is going on here? He writes of Khashoggi, what? quote, In truth, Khashoggi was an activist who had supported the losing team in a recent fight for the throne, and he was unhappy with being exiled. He said that the media generated a lot of faux outrage over his murder. Mike Pompeo, welcome to Newcastle United. (laughs) What is but like what is the constituency for this line of thinking here? Who's that for? Yeah, uh, maybe he's running to not he's not going to run for president. Maybe he wants to run some horrible fund with Steve Mnuchin that over in the Gulf or use the Gulf, the the rivers of oil money at their disposal. Yeah, that's a, that could be it. <laughs> that would make more sense, actually. That is just so egregious, man. Come on. You know, like, th- was there never any like. I know the don't speak ill of the dead thing is 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 overused. But like 
man, this guy was dismembered and you're basically like, he deserved it? Yeah. For well, what? I'm surprised Supp- like a book supporting editor. Supporting the losing team? Where was the book editor on that? Like, hey, Mike, reading uh, your book. Love it. You, uh, you, what about this one passage, though, where you uh, smear Jamal Khashoggi out of nowhere? Like, what's up with that? He was reading that and thinking this is the only reason people will buy or have any interest in this book. <laughs> yeah, you're probably Okay, right. yeah, no, this is good. What you have here is really good, Mike. We should run with this. We in should fact, put this in fact, on the we'll cover. use this as the excerpt for uh to, to send out to the media to promote the book. All right, who's going in the garbage can this week? Oh man, there's so many so many possibilities always um, always they they are all strong candidates maybe not I mean, pompeo obviously that sucks and that's ridiculous but yeah. we have some real shitheads uh in the other in the other candidacies here i i'm leaning th- i'm leaning toward two and for 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 different reasons because we always, you know, there's the one where it's like, this is just awful, the most egregious. That was us throwing George Santos in the garbage can last week for basically killing a dog. To me, that's Brian Kemp. That's Georgia Governor Brian Kemp, who's calling up the National Guard, charging these protesters with domestic terrorism. Like, he is clearly doing the most harm this week. The other one is just like the most pathetic, like, would be the most fun to throw in the garbage can, and that's BuzzFeed. So that's where I'm at right now. I'm torn between those two. Uh, I mean, you know, obviously we, we, it's a, it's a, it's a fine line we walk here at the garbage can segment where we want to roast shitheads, but also not take ourselves too seriously because obviously yeah. there are no real consequences are happening to whoever it gets thrown in the garbage can so let's just throw buzzfeed in buzzfeed you, you are going, going in the garbage, the garbage can. can 12 reasons you're going in the garbage can 12 reasons you're going in the garbage can 18 reasons you know, you know, you know you're in a garbage can <laughs> you know you might smelly be from- it's dark there's no internet you know you might be from Nashville, Tennessee if you think this when you're going in the garbage can. That's the show. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your support. We're going to be back next week with a brand new episode. We're here in D.C., so you don't have to be. Ten times Beyonce put the haters in the garbage can. 